What's up, y'all? Big Mel here. Who is Rugrat? Let me let me let me hip y'all to something for a minute. It's been all on the news, all over on social media. Ever since the picture surfaced, it's been all over the place. Yeah, I'm talking about that picture with Cowboys owner Jerry Jones. It's the picture that shows him among a group of white teens who were trying to block the entrance to their high school to a group of black teenagers who were trying to get into school. Jerry Jones was only 14 years old at the time. He was a kid. When asked about the photo, he said that it was a long ago and I and that you know, I didn't know all that was going on with what was there at the time. Now, what I'm about to do right about now is I'm going to give you some give Jerry Jones something that the world didn't give to Kyrie Irving or to Kanye West or even to Colin Kaepernick. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Now, let's understand what the situation was. We're talking about 1957. Most of us, myself included, were not even born at that time. But we all understand how it was in that time and how segregation affected everybody, especially when you were, if you were black and you lived in the South. You see, I grew up in East Texas. I know about racism firsthand. I grew up in a town where where the black people knew their place. You know what I'm saying? I grew up in those kind of towns. I grew up in small town Texas. I grew up in those towns. Kids had shotguns in the back of their trucks. I know this stuff. I know this stuff back firsthand. But for those of y'all who are a little bit too young to to remember what happened on that day, let me hip y'all to some game. Something they probably won't teach you in the history books now because they're too scared to tell you the truth. Let's go back three years prior to that picture. To that picture. Let's go back three years before that. In 1954. There was a landmark Supreme Court case called Brown versus the Board of, Edu- Board of Education. Look it up. You can Google it and find out all the information about this case. I'll give you a quick synopsis of it. The case involved a 10-year-old little black girl by the name of Linda Brown, who's still alive, by the way, by the way. She's about got to be 75, almost 80 years old at the time. The situation was something simple. You see, Linda Brown lived right across the street from an elementary school. And she wanted to go to school, just like other kids wanted to go to school. There was only one problem. Linda Brown was black. The school across the street from her was white. It was a white school. And the thing is, she couldn't attend that school. Even though it was right directly across the street from her house, she could not go to that school. Because the law, the law of the land was segregation. Jim Crow ruled the land. Separate but equal was the rule, even in the schools. There's another case to think about. Plessy versus Ferguson, 1896. You can look that one up, too. That established Jim Crow as the law of the land. And it said that separate facilities for black and white 
was completely legal and constitutional as long as those facilities were equal. But we knew they weren't. Because, of course, the one thing that black folks didn't have that the whites had was finances. We didn't have that. The school, the rule was in in Kansas, in Topeka, Kansas, as it was in all the South and some cities in the North, was that if you were a black kid, it didn't matter if the school was right directly by your doorstep. You couldn't go to that school if you were a black kid. You had to go to the black school. It didn't matter how far away that school was. In Linda Brown's case, that school was over an hour plus away. And there were no buses that took her to that school. So she had to commute over 100 plus miles every day to go to the only black school within the range of the community. Linda Brown's parents didn't like that much. So she, they went to the school. They told her no. They went to the school district. They told her no. They filed it with Kansas, with the Kansas Supreme Court. They agreed with everybody else and said no. So they took it all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. And a young African-American lawyer by the name of Thurgood Marshall. Remember that name because that name is very important in not only African-American history, but American history. He would argue that case with the Supreme Court. And in a landmark decision that was only opposed by one justice, it was a clean sweep. The justices said that separate facilities for blacks and whites were illegal. And that began the process of the integration of America's schools. However, many schools today have not even been, have not yet to integrate. Many schools are still literally segregated still. But, which brings us back to the picture. This picture that that was the viral picture that went around was at Little Rock High School, was at Little Rock's Central High School in Little Rock, Arkansas. And of course, you know, the white parents did not want their black, did not want to go to school with Negroes, even though they didn't say the word Negroes. We knew the word they used. So Governor Farbus, who was the governor at the time, sent the National Guard and put it under state control to try to block it to keep those black students from coming to that school and causing a riot. Well, President at the time, Dwight Eisenhower, chose to turn it differently. They put the Arkansas National Guard under federal control to bring them in the school anyway. Thus, you see that picture, you was, I would, the infamous picture that has gone viral. Now, again, that was 65 years ago. Jerry Jones was 14 years old at the time. And again, let's remember what he said. He said, I, re- I was that, that's me, but I really didn't understand what was going on. Everybody else knew what was going on. We could look at that picture and tell what's going on. But of course, we can accept, we can expect that considering the actions that Jerry Jones had proposed over the years. Jerry Jones is 80 years of age now. Okay, he's lived a pretty long life. And he's, I'm pretty sure he's seen a lot of things in 80 years. He would never would have imagined that he would be the coach of the Cowboys. 
And believe it or not, in 1957, the Cowboys were still in existence. They just weren't called the Cowboys at the time. They were called the Dallas Texans. And they were owned by Tex Shram. Since then, but here's why all this is so important. And I'm going to get back to, to Jerry Jones in a minute. But I have to make mention of this. At that time, in 1957, less than 10% of the NBA, of the NFL was black. There were very few black players that played in the NFL at the time. That was 1957. Flip forward 65 years, almost 9 out of every 10 players in the NFL are black. But there are very few black exec in executive positions that make decisions about the team. There are very few, including the Cowboys. <coughs> organization I don't even think in their or in their years the Cowboys have ever hired a black coach to coach their team they've never had a black coach coaching their team and out of the 32 current teams that are in the NFL only two are coached by black people and that of course is Mike Tomlin and of course of the Pittsburgh Steelers and Lovey Smith of the Texans. And I don't think he might not be holding on to that for too long. And I know some of y'all going to say Robert Sala is, is another is another uh, coach, uh, black coach. No, he's not. He's a coach of color. He is not black. He is from the Middle East. Okay. So out of the 32 teams, only two are run by black coaches. There are a handful of black executives and executive power and no black team owners. There are 32 teams in, in in the NBA. Plenty of them got black coaches. There are a whole bunch of black coaches around. Steven Silas from the Rockets is one. There are a whole bunch of them. Byron Scott. I could name names on and on. Who, who coached Doc Rivers. There's a bunch of black coaches. And there's a bunch of black executives that are uh, over the teams. But again... No black team owners. Major League Baseball has 30 teams. There's a, only a, maybe a handful of black players that play in Major League Baseball. And of the 32 teams, of the 30 teams actually, only one black coach. And that's our Astros coach, uh, Dusty Baker. Congratulations on your ring. You earned it. But again, no executives in, in, in higher positions of power in Major League Baseball and no black team owners. Hockey's even worse. Hockey had the same number of blacks that play in hockey just as the number of uh, blacks that played football in 1957. No black coaches, no, no black executives. No black team owners. You can look at all the sports in the world. There's not a sport out that blacks have not put their hands on or have an influence in. And we talk about even NASCARs had black people in it. Golf, tennis, uh, cricket, any of those. Again, no black coaches, no black team owners, no black executives. 
But I said all that to say this. Again, Jerry, I'm about to give you, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Okay, maybe you just woke up that day, wash your face, brush your teeth, ate a little breakfast, put some clothes on, got your little books in your backpack, and you headed on down to school. And you saw this mob of white boys that were your age, a little, some a little older, some a little younger. And they were all just gathered there in front of the door of your high school trying to prevent a group of black kids from getting in their high school. I do not believe that you were just an innocent bystander that just happened just to walk up and see that scene. No. Not what your, your actions proved that that was not the case. Now, I'm not going to ask you to even apologize for being in that photo, for being in there that day. The only thing I'm going to ask you, Jerry, and the only thing that's going to really that's going to really help is not an apology. I'm not asking. We're not asking for an apology. Apologies are not needed. What is needed is for you to acknowledge that you were there. That's all we ask right now. That's all we can ask for. It's for you to acknowledge the fact that you. Jerry Jones were actually present at the time of this picture. That's all we're asking. We're not asking you to apologize. We're not asking you to say, okay, I'm sorry for what happened that day because no one person was responsible for what happened in that picture. Not one, no one individual. Everybody in that picture that was there had a part to play in it. And whether your part was major or minor is irrelevant. It doesn't even matter whether it was a major part or a minor part or whatever the case may be. All I'm asking you to do, Jerry, is just to admit and be honest with yourself and be honest with uh, with black with the players on your team. Majority of your of your players on your Cowboys team are black men. The least you can do is be honest with them. Yeah, you pay their paychecks, fine. But the, that's fine. And you got your prerogative to do whatever you wish. You can be as racist as you want to be. That's your prerogative. But the least you can do, Mr. Jones, is to say, look, I was there on that day when those kids tried to block another group of black group of black kids from coming into my school. I was there, and I watched it go down. You don't even have to admit that you were what it was there for. You don't even have to admit that you participated. That's irrelevant whether you participated or not. The picture proves that. All I'm asking is acknowledgement. This is the problem that I have with America. This is the problem I have with the United States of America. I love this country. I love the freedom that's here. I love the ability to be anything you want to be in this country. I love that. Everything about that I love. But there's only one thing that I 
don't understand and have no bounds for. America desperately, desperately wants to heal from the wounds of slavery. It wants to heal from the wounds of segregation. It wants to heal from the wounds of Jim Crow. It wants to heal from the lynchings and the beatings. They don't want America associated with those acts. But there can be no healing without acknowledgement. Let me say that again. There can be no healing without acknowledgement. What I'm about to say, so many people can recognize what I'm about to say because it's the truth. If you've ever been in an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting or a Narcotics Anonymous meeting, you know about the 12 steps. Well, the first step in, in, in those 12 is simply this. We acknowledge that we are powerless over alcohol and that our lives have become unmanageable. If you're not willing to admit that step, the other 11 steps are useless to you. There's no healing possible. If you're not willing to admit that, there is no healing. It's not possible for you to be healed. Healing begins with acknowledgement, ladies and gentlemen. You have to acknowledge that you are responsible for the condition that you're in. Not your environment, not your parents, not other people around you. You are responsible. Once that fact is accepted and acknowledged, then everything else is, becomes much easier. It becomes much easier for you to be healed, to be delivered, to be saved, it's much easier for you to get help if you are willing to accept and acknowledge that there is a problem. And that's the problem with the United States of America. It wants to erase the image of slavery. It wants to erase the image of what, it, uh, of what its white European citizens done to its indigenous peoples. But we want to erase it from the history books. We want to forbid our teachers from teaching other kids about it. We don't want to discuss it in the classrooms. We don't want to discuss it on television. Because we're afraid it might offend someone. Truth is offensive, ladies and gentlemen. That's what it's designed to do. If it doesn't make you change, it doesn't make you think about your behaviors, then it's not truth. Okay, if the, what if what I'm saying is not going to cause you to think about what you do before you do it, then it's not the truth. Okay, the truth by its very nature is designed to hurt you first before it heals you. Because if it hurts you first, then it's going to make you think, hey, maybe I need to fix this problem. You know, when you see a burn, when you see a cut, when you see a bruise, that lets you know there's a physical thing that shows on your body that lets you know that something is missing or something is broken. And if you choose to heal it, if you want it to be healed, you have to treat it. It's the same way with racism. It's the same way with the problems of this world. There can be no healing without acknowledgement. 
I'm going to say it again. There can be no healing without acknowledgement. And we can't go back and I wish we could go back and fix the mistakes of our past. That would be so beautiful to do. But since we can't do it, what we can do is do prepare for the future and fix and fix the problem so that it won't be have to be dealt with in the future. So Jerry, God's given you another day of life. Every day that you have, every day that we have are blessings that come from him. Wouldn't it be great that if the, your final years were better than your first years, that you could really go to sleep at night and have peace when you sleep, that you don't have to go to bed and fear dread going to bed because you got nightmares or you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't go back to sleep. Wouldn't it be great just to have a peaceful night of rest? You can have that, you know. As long as you are alive and breathing, you have this opportunity. We don't need another apology. We need acknowledgement. We need acceptance. This is what I did. This is what I was there for. And then we can start working on the process of healing. We can start working on the process of fixing things. We can start on the process of making sure everybody's okay. But it starts with you acknowledging that this is what happened. If you're not willing to do that, you can save your apologies. We don't need no more apologies. We need acknowledgement. Acknowledge this is what you did. This is why you were there. You don't know the whole point of it, but you were there. And I admit that that was what it was about. And then, then you can talk about how you changed. And this is not just for Jerry Jones. This is for everybody. I know there's some of y'all right now that may have said something to somebody that hurt their feelings. You may have done something to somebody that hurt them. Whatever the case, now you can fix it. You can't go back and, and repair it, but you can fix it. And it starts with acknowledging, saying, look, I was wrong for what I did. And I'm sorry. You know, that little gesture goes a long way in healing. And I pray that not only that Jerry Jones does it, but everybody else does it too. Because we're all sinners, really. We all are. Ain't nobody on this earth innocent. Okay? We all have sinful tendencies in us. But the wise are the ones that acknowledge the fact that they have it. And I'm willing to do something about it. And this is not just for Jerry Jones. That's for everybody else. Because the most important thing we have on our on this plan is relationships. We're all we got. So let's love each other. Let's work together. Let's help each other. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter. On my website, whoisrugred.net. On my YouTube channel. Let's work on it, man. We're going to get to our first 10,000, man. 10,000 subscribers, man. That'll be on. Anyway, y'all have a good one. Just think about what I said. And let's get together. Big Mel, who is Rugrat. Peace.